Our theme this year is Believe to See. We'll eventually be in Matthew 13 and Mark chapter 6. We are believing to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The whole idea of believing to see is for us to go forward by faith as a church body. We now only have one more Sunday until we go to two services. And it's gotten here before I could even really process it all. We're going to let our nets down. We're going to launch out into the deep. We're going to trust God to enclose a great multitude of fish. The challenge is for us to walk by faith, believing to see what God can do in us and through us, for us, as we seek to glorify Him by reaching more souls for Christ. If we could see what the result is going to be, then it wouldn't be walking by faith. If we saw that no more were going to be reached, we wouldn't make the move. If we saw that many more would be reached, we wouldn't hesitate to make the move. But God likes to show us where our heart is at. He knows where we're at, amen? He he knows who we are. He knows our weaknesses. But He will prove us. He will test us to reveal to us where our faith in Him is at. I've mentioned before that we could stay right where we're at and we could all stay comfortable just doing what we're doing. But then this is as much as we'll ever do. I'm content with my wages. You provide me a good living. There's no financial motivation is what I'm saying. I'm sure you're all comfortable with where we're at as well. We all know each other in here. We know what we're doing week in and week out. I don't really need to add the extra workload to my wagon. I don't know about you. I'm not chomping to go to two morning services because I'm bored. It's not something I want to do because I'm sitting around the house going, I really got nothing better to do. Are you with me? (laughs) You may not know me well enough to know this about me, but I'm not one who needs to prove a thing to anybody. I don't need to try to prove to you that I'm something. If you tell me you're stronger than me, that's fine with me. I'm not challenging you to a wrestling match. We're not going to have an arm arm wrestling match or anything like that. We're not going to lift weights to see who the strongest is. I don't care if you're stronger than me. Amen. If you say you're smarter than me, I'll say, yeah, that's true. (laughs) My SAT scores are, I guess, permanently sealed. I don't know. They're so low. Let's just say they're only three digits and we'll leave it at that. And if you tell me you're smarter than me, you're correct. We're not going to have a, um, a competition of wits. I remember I went to North Georgia Military Academy. I, I had kind of a scholarship there. And I went in there and I said, I would like to be a physical therapist. And they looked at my record and then they looked at me and they laughed. That doesn't inspire confidence, amen. And I knew at that point I was destined to go in the Air Force. <laughs> um, anyway... 
I'm not worried if you're smarter than me. We're not going to have a battle of wits like the princess bride. You ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons? <laughs> Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. <laughs> Wait till I get going. All right, anyway. I'm very comfortable in my standing before God and what man has to say about me isn't a motivator. It never really has been. This is why I would have absolutely no problem living in the middle of nowhere and I would be perfectly fine. I'd be happy as I could be. I I don't seek the applause of men. I don't seek man's approval. This isn't a brag. I'm just simply simply letting you know where my heart is tonight. That the move that we are talking about has absolutely no earthly motivation whatsoever. I mean, sure, I do want our church to grow. and, And I do want to be successful in things that I do in life. But understand that church growth isn't the objective. It may seem that way. But that's not the objective. It's glorifying God by seeing more people reached. And when that motive is pure, a church body, within a church body, the natural end result of that will be growth. The move isn't motivated by man's approval, but what drives me is God being pleased with Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. I want more people to be helped spiritually. Now I'm going to be honest with you. The last few Sunday mornings have been making me a little nervous. Attendance in the sanctuary has been down. I don't know if it's just sickness making its way through the congregation. Or if it's an indication of something else. But I've really been in deep prayer. Adam Mitchell took down the sign today. The times are going to be changed on the sign, and then I guess it's officially official. Thank you to Adam Mitchell, and I thank Cindy DeGarmo, and whoever else has their hand in getting that done. And right at the time I was typing this up this afternoon, the kids were watching Andy Griffith. And Andy was sitting on the porch after church at some point. He was sitting on, sitting on the porch. And people were leaving the church, and they were walking by his house. And he's sitting on the porch with Aunt B and Opie. And somebody walks by, and he says his name, and he says, uh, Hey, we had good services this morning, or something like that. And he says, We went to the early service. And I went, Hold on, what? And I, I, I grabbed the remote, and I, I, re, I had to rewind it, and I went, Did he say he went to the early service? In Mayberry? So we rewound it, and sure enough, I guess they had an early service. I didn't know they did that kind of thing back in the 60s, but apparently they did. And so I'm not saying that's an indication of God's will. Man, I wish I could use that and tell you, yep, God used Hollywood and Desilu Studios to help me know what to do, but that's not the way God works. I, I can tell you this, a lot of things have been happening ever since we've made this announcement. There have been many attacks Things that I don't think I'm at liberty to discuss with you in the open yet. But it has been shocking just how much certain areas of our church have been attacked. And I don't know about you, but the last two, three weeks on Sunday morning, it's just been a different spirit. 
It's something that I've sensed. It's just been a little bit more odd. Something's been off. On one hand, I tend to think that the attacks are an indication that we're on the right track. Because it's been said, Satan doesn't kick a dead horse. But on the other hand, I see some of the things going on and sometimes I wonder if God's trying to tell me something. But I reckon overall, it's just the enemy at work trying to make me doubt and be discouraged. Are you with me? Are you with me? I'm just sharing with you my heart tonight. You should be in Matthew 13 by now. (laughs) Good job, Karen. This message is for me, and it may not be for any of you. But if you want to get in on it, be my guest. Matthew 13, and then we'll jump over to Mark chapter 6. Matthew 13, let's read verses 53 through 58. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren James and Joseph, Simon and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And then if you would please look at Mark chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 6 there. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and of Judah, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages teaching. What captures my attention tonight and we'll stay right here in Mark's account, is that Jesus could there do no mighty works because of their unbelief, because of their lack of faith. At the close of the previous chapter in Mark chapter 5, we have the miraculous account of Jesus raising the 12-year-old girl back to life. And all Jesus told her father was, be not afraid, only believe. Only have faith in me that I am able to do what no man can do. After that miracle, Jesus departed from there. And he goes back to his country, meaning he goes back to Nazareth. His disciples are following him. And in verse 2, On the Sabbath day, Jesus taught in the synagogue, and those who heard Him were astonished at His ability to expound the Scriptures. 
in those days, you didn't have the luxury of having a Bible to carry around. And therefore, the only ones who really could teach with authority, it was thought, were those who had access to the scrolls, namely those of the synagogue. And when they hear Jesus is in His hometown, those people there knew that He was a carpenter by trade. They knew that His earthly dad was a carpenter. And because of that, they knew that He did not learn by any of the rabbis. He did not learn at a school designed to teach Him how to expound the Word of God. How did he get such wisdom to expound? Where did he get this authority? This is what they are wondering. From whence hath these man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? They even knew of the mighty works which were wrought by his hands, but they couldn't get over the fact that he was a carpenter. They knew his mother Mary. They knew all of his brothers and sisters. And I, I just have to pause and say it right here because we don't often read a text like this where I have to tell you those who teach the perpetual virginity of Mary have to explain this passage right here. How in the world did Jesus have brothers and sisters if she remained a virgin? It's a big deal. That aside, that's not the message. And because Jesus had no formal education by the doctors of the law, But because he possessed this great wisdom, nonetheless, the people were offended at him. They were offended. Which means Jesus became a stumbling block to these people. His own hometown. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. Though they had heard with their ears the wisdom that he had, and though they would see with their eyes a little bit of his power, they could not get their hearts to confess what they knew to be true outwardly. Are you with me? They're putting this together and they know it to be true. They just cannot get themselves to admit that Jesus is the Christ. Romans 9, 31 through 33 say, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Or why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 say, Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." You see, the enemy got the people of Nazareth to doubt what was clearly before them. It was clear. 
He was teaching with authority. He was doing some miracles. It was clear that he was who he said he was, but the enemy got involved and got them to doubt. And at the moment that happens, when we start to doubt that, there's a lapse of faith. They could not bring themselves to believe. And in verse 5, we see that Christ could not do their any mighty works. In other words, there was no great miracle done in Nazareth. We see that he was able to lay his hands upon a few sick folk and heal them. And I want you to get this. This is what stifled churches look like. This is what happens when there's no faith in Jesus to do what his word says. That he is who he says he is. That he can do what he says he can do. This is what it ends up looking like. See, they, we, we, we look upon this and, and, and here's what will happen in churches. You'll hear testimonies from an individual. And an individual will give a testimony of how God has worked in their life. And then maybe somebody over here will give a praise about how good God has been. Is everybody paying attention? And individuals will kind of say this thing, but in a stifled church where there's no walking by faith, you don't hear a collective testimony of what God is doing in us as a group. You see, we may uh, every now and again on a Wednesday night get somebody, you know, God's been so good to me and God gave me this victory and God healed me of this and God did that. But what is Liberty Baptist Tabernacle saying? What are we saying collectively? Now, I'm happy that there's individual victories. Praise God. I'm glad to hear those testimonies of how God works in a person's life. Nothing wrong with that. I'm all for hearing those testimonies. But imagine if we could all look around and see what God has wrought among us. And we all could say, I remember what God did for us. Not just what God has done for me. Are you seeing the difference in what I'm trying to say? Praise God for what He's doing in your life personally. But what can we say that God is doing for our church collectively? Some of you can testify of how God wrought miracles through the press ministry. Y'all were here. But what about those of us who weren't here? I didn't come around until 2001. The press was already going. What about us? Where's our testimony? Where is our our giving God glory for what He's done collectively? Listen, if you're in my generation, we're riding the coattails of these people. Of our first generation Christians here. Those who have been here 30 years plus. We're, we're feeding off of what they were able to accomplish. Where's our victory? Where's our victory? This is what gets people really excited. Because everyone can see it. We can't always appreciate what happened in your life individually because it's special to you. It's, it's your personal circumstance. But we can appreciate seeing a collective move of God among us. And this is what the enemy hates. Because it's one thing to see your faith increase individually. But it's a whole other thing to see our faith increase collectively. Now you're starting to see a movement. 
This is something we all would be able to see and take note of. That's what I'm talking about. Something that would be undeniable. When it happens collectively, the community starts to take notice. If you have a victory here and there, not many in the community is ever going to know. And just to be honest with you, they won't really care. But if we as a church body see God's mighty workings in us, then that's something that the community can take note of. Now, I hope you're getting this. These in Nazareth, they stumbled at Christ. And as a result, they had no faith as a town. And because of that, Jesus could do no mighty work. And verse 6 says, He marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled. It isn't that we literally tie the Lord's hands. But in a sense, we tie the Lord's hands. He can do what He wants to do. If you read Matthew's account again, you would see that um, He chose not to do any mighty works there. And that's the sense of the phrase here. It wasn't that He couldn't. He chose not to. We tie His hands from working mightily among us when we don't walk by faith. Those who live by faith will hear of their testimony, but as a church, we will prevent the Lord's working mightily among us if we're not collectively going forward by faith. The Bible says He didn't do mighty works there because of their unbelief. Now, I've already confessed to you tonight, I've had some lapses over the last three weeks. I've been scratching my head a bit as I consider some things. But do you know what the problem is in my case? It's me seeing things with my natural eyes and not believing to see. That's our theme. I'm seeing things and then I'm struggling with believing to see what can be. I see the attacks. I see the sicknesses. I see the the numbers dip a bit. But that's my natural eyes. And that gets me out of the mindset of faith. Instead, I just need to believe to see. Nazareth had so much unbelief that Jesus actually marveled at their unbelief. Isn't that something? He marveled at it, at their lack of faith. You know, there's only one other time where Jesus marveled. Go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Let's read verses 5 through 13. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out in the outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. 
And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Here we find this Gentile centurion, this military man in authority, who had so much faith in Christ that he tells Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. And he lets Jesus know, if you'll but speak the word only, I know that my servant will be healed. And in verse 10, when Jesus hears this man, the Bible says he marvels. Jesus says to those around them, Verily I say unto you, I have found, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. And so I want to ask you tonight, how will Jesus marvel at this body of believers? Is he going to marvel at our unbelief? Or is he going to marvel at our great faith? How is Jesus going to view Liberty Baptist Tabernacle? I don't want to be a stifled church. I don't want to only hear of individual victories here and there. But I'm desirous, desirous for us to be a church experiencing collectively the mighty works of God among us and through us. Amen. How is Jesus going to remember us? For a lack of faith or for great faith? May God help us to believe to see Amen. the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's pray.